You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. It's so good to be here. I've been excited just studying through this Rhythms of Grace series. Um, If you were here last week, we kind of kicked it off with the idea of of community. Um, You know, I think a lot of times when we think about uh, spiritual practices, these rhythms of grace, as we're calling them, um, a lot of times they just get internalized into your own kind of personal faith life. And there's a lot of that that should go on. If you're only here for an hour on a Sunday and this is the most worship you're ever giving your God, like that's just not time-wise, that's just not a lot to give to this great God. But um, So there's a lot of personal time we can take, but as a community, as a whole, we, we are, the scriptures teach us that we are a body. We are a body of many parts that is one together by the Spirit. And so when we together do these rhythms of grace uh, corporately, there's something that happens. We as a kind of an entity, we just grow into this thing that Jesus is shaping and, and his love and mercy and grace is pouring into us. And then his great restoration project of the world, but specifically for us in Albany, we get to be a part of that and shaped by him in it. So it's really cool. So every time we get to talk about rhythms of grace in terms of a community, it's just neat to, to not feel alone in it. And not feel like it's just up to you. Go read your Bible more. You know, it's it's really up to us as a community. Let's grow together, you know, and laugh together and cry together and share together. So last week we talked about community. We kind of defined community uh, with some biblical words, got a little nerdy in it. Um, I won't te- go through that again, but the kind of definition that we came up with, a church community specifically, a community of faith, was a gathered people under one or, or for a purpose or, or, or as one mind, dedicated to the Lord, to build up one another or to have fellowship with one another. Okay, so that was kind of the idea. When we talk about a church community, that's what we're talking about. Um, And today we're going to focus on worship. So that kind of community, what does worship look like and how does worship shape us in that kind of community? Um, Famous uh, preacher and pastor Louis Giglio, if you've heard him before, he said this about worship. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is, and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. Okay, so the, so the, the idea of worship here isn't just singing, right? It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's something that is expressed, as he said, um, by the things we say and the way that we live. Uh, we would argue here that we don't choose uh, to worship or not to worship, that we are worshipers. We are created to be worshipers as people. We always worship something. So the question becomes, what is the object of your worship? What is shaping you? Now, before I tell you all the reasons that I think it should be God, <laughs> and that's the, the good church answer, right? Um, we, I want to go through this. The, the true, I really feel like true wholehearted worship can only happen when you realize what you um, are without God, right? Facing the reality of just this kind of unsaved life, right, of having no truth to guide life, of, of having no need for a Savior, because a lot of times the thinking is, I'll be good enough, I'll just try harder. But the power and the truth of the gospel being good news is that first there was bad news, right? The, here's the bad news. We cannot save ourselves. You cannot save yourself. The prophet Isaiah saw it, Isaiah 53, 6, he says, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. 
Jesus said it, John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then again in John 15, even more scathingly, apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul knew it, Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Peter believed it and he preached it, Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? This is the bad news, right? Which should cause us to fall on our knees, in repentance, looking up as David cried out in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from, right? This is that moment of just distraught rock bottomness. But because there's bad news, there is good news. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Isaiah believed it. Isaiah 12 too, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. Jesus says it about himself, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Paul knew it. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Peter believed and preached it, Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Where there was no way, where there was bad news, God made a way, right? This is the foundational reason we worship, the good news of Jesus. And we worship because we are not that Savior. We are not God. I read this week, author Michael Linval described worship, and I love this, as weekly practice at not being God. <laughs> I love that, right? I need that. I need more than that, right? We don't make God holy with our worship. He is holy, so we worship him, right? And today, we're going to talk about the fruit that comes from our devoted worship to this holy God. As you can imagine, again, <clears throat> so much has been written on this subject of worship. We could talk all about how do you sing and where you stand and how do you kneel and all this kind of stuff. But I kind of want to get into like when we truly worship, there's fruit that happens as in us as a community. Now, so I have a couple different things, and today's going to be a little bit different. I'm actually not going to teach through that Psalm 145. We're going to come back to it. It's just a great worship psalm to kind of center our, our hearts and our minds. But today I'm actually going to tell you guys a lot of stories. We're going to go through a couple different passages, so break out your, your iPhone or there's Bibles on the table. We're going to go through a couple passages if you want to follow along. And we're going to talk about the, what the fruit of worship could be, right? And the first one I argue is the fruit of worship as a community is awe. Okay, it's kind of a funny word. If you look at it too long, it gets even weirder. Awe. It's typically, it's like wonderment or it's like a wow moment. You know, um, it can also be something else. Um, one of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp, he wrote a book literally called Awe. He says, awe is a longing. <clears throat> awe is longing for a place where your hunger will be satisfied, right? This, this wonderment moment, but it's something you just long for, right? We all long for things, but that is born out of desires or likes or dislikes, but there is something inherently in us that craves and longs for the presence of God. Can you feel that sometimes? 
You just want to be close to God. If you're not sure, like, you're like, I don't know where my awe is at. Tripp has these personal tricks in his book. He says, where do you experience your biggest moments of happiness in your darkest moments of sadness? What angers you or crushes you with disappointment? This might be where your awe is at. What motivates you to continue or make you feel <clears throat> like quitting? Those are good checks, right? Now, God created a world that bears testimony to who he is, right? We do as image bearers, but all creation as created things bear witness to this creator God. And what I want to do in terms of awe is I want to read some psalms. I just want us to sit and I want to read some psalms that declare this awesome God, that declare truths about our creator that I want to sit in. The first one is Psalm 8. Just hear this. Let this enter into your very soul. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Psalm 66. Shout to the Lord, or shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And if you ever see that Selah in the Bible, it's actually a really cool word. It's, it's a, like a music composer note. And it's a note to actually say, like, stop and listen. It's kind of that Selah, like, just take that moment now. Like, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. Stop and listen to it. Today, do that. Let's go, out, <coughs> excuse me, let's go outside. Let's, let's stop and listen for that worship. Psalm 19. <clears throat> the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. You ever thought of the sun like that? And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. And those are just three psalms of so many of just this worship and awe that can be born in us of who God is and what he has done. And what's crazy is of, of all those things, humans are the only created thing with critical thinking, with rational decision making, and the incredible ability to compare, <laughs> right? The sun doesn't wish it was the moon, right? A giraffe doesn't covet the bunny's hopping ability, you know? They are what they are. They do exactly what they are meant to do. But as humans, we kind of constantly ask that question of like, what is life? What am I supposed to do? Who am I? These kind of things. I think it's so hard because humans are so unique, right? What's a true way of life for one person may not be true from another. 
But regardless of that, the object of our worship can be the same. The object of their worship as a created being can always be the creator God. And this is where humans go wrong, right? This is my, my put myself in this. We start obsessing and giving our awe and attention to our vocation, what we do or what we have in life, to our relationships, to our stuff, to experiences, to pleasure, because our awe is not on God as the provider, <clears throat> but what we can provide for ourselves, what we can accomplish. And we're going to see this theme today. We're going to see this, this juxtaposition between the awe of self-glory versus awe of God's glory. Paul talks about this with the unrighteous, just meaning those who still believe that these things they can get in life will save them. They don't need God. He says God can even give them over to those passions, as Paul says in Romans 1, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Right? The focus needs to be on the glory and holiness of God, and that should invoke this awestruckness in us that all we can do is stop and wonder at how good and holy God is. And you might ask, so how do we stay focused on God the Creator and not get distracted by this creation? Well, the next thing I want to talk about, the, the next fruit that I will argue about our worship shaping us is storytelling. Okay, worship, the fruit of worship is storytelling. And we all love definitions, right? We're here, like, tell me exactly what I need to do, whatever. Um, but if, before I any of that, I just want to tell you some stories, right? It makes sense, right? This subject is called storytelling. I think the best way to understand the next few points is to tell you guys some stories, and we get into the scriptures, and we learn their lessons of what they have to teach us. So right now, you guys ready? Want to go on a story? Yeah? Okay, well, I'm doing it, so let's go back, okay? If you've been a part of Hub City for the last six months, we've talked about the Exodus story a ton, okay? I don't know if you're tired of it or if you're like, give me more, okay? It's a great story, we walked through Exodus itself, and then later on we did a whole Ten Commandments series, kind of focusing just on that. But as the story progresses, okay, you can read this in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, Moses goes on and Moses gets old and he dies. This guy Joshua takes over, and God continues his good work with his people, leading them into the promised land, driving out the enemies ahead of them so they can possess the land, okay? We don't often get to read things like this because it's, it's always, the scriptures are always like, wait and hope and be patient, right? But there's a point in Joshua 23 that I think is worth reading. Joshua 23, 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Like, that's a nice sentence, right? Like, he was old and God gave them rest. That's great. That's in your Bible. They got rest right? God gave them rest for the journey. God cares about that. But often, as old men do who have lived a full life, they want to impart some sort of wisdom, right? Now, Joshua is very wise, so he doesn't actually count on his own wisdom, but he brings all the leaders of all the tribes of Israel together and all the heads of the households together, and he brings them before the Lord. He says, Lord, what would you say to the people now? As I am getting old and I am passing away, what would you say? This is Joshua 24. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Okay, so all of a sudden the Lord went all the way back to Abraham. Okay, 
And then he talks about, then I took Abraham from beyond the river. I led him through the land of Canaan. I made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and Jacob. And I'll say it. It goes on. He goes on to tell the story of all of like the biblical history, okay? Esau stayed where he was at, but Jacob went down to Egypt where you were enslaved. I worked with Moses and Aaron to free you. The Egyptians pursued you and I stopped them at the Red Sea, don't you remember? Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then you came to another river, the Jordan. I got you across that and the tribes there fought you, but I delivered them over to you. Then there was a fighting and fighting and fighting. But with me, you were victorious. You came up against mighty Jericho and watched it crumble to the ground. You fought the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, the campsites, all the sites. And you had victory. And then in verse 20, chapter 24 of 13 of Joshua, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Okay, fair enough. Okay, he ends this great story with like everything you have is from me. Then there's a charge by Joshua for the people upon remembering this. Joshua 24, 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. After hearing all of that, choose this day whom, whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And this is where Joshua famously has that line that is probably... <laughs> on a plaque in all your grandma's house. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a great, it's great. I love my grandma. The people answered, chapter 24, 18, therefore we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. And Joshua said to the people, verse 22, you are witnesses against yourselves. So you've chosen the Lord to serve him. Okay, so they, what they do is they retell the stories of God. They retell all this amazing story of God and then say, choose this day, that God, are you going to follow that God or go back to what your fathers used to serve or the people of this land? All right, so Joshua, he actually not only witnesses against himself, but he sets up these large stones as witnesses to their commitment so the people would remember that is beautiful worship right there, retelling the story of God. This is a storytelling of God's faithfulness to them, remembering how he brought them to this place. Christy and I have this tradition that we, we try to do. Sometimes it, it's been hard to, to remember, but during the year, if something happens that we feel like is just a, a blessing from the Lord, like, man, this is so incredible, we prayed for this or whatever, we'll write it down on a little slip of paper and put it in a jar. And we hope to do this, we've done it a few years, um, on Christmas Eve, then at the end of the year, we will take that jar and we will take them out and read that year's kind of like blessings. And I'll tell you, it is incredible um, how much I forget, right? How much I'm like, oh yeah, that was this year, that's incredible, you know? And um, it's incredible, but for me, it's like, I need to remember, because I just, the year, it just go, you guys know how time goes, and you just think, oh, I don't know, I don't know where the God is, and then you look back, and you're like, oh, he was everywhere, <laughs> you know, all the time. Um, now, what the warning, though, is, so that's, that's the ending of Joshua. The next book in your Bible is Judges, okay? If you've ever spent a lot of time in your scriptures, Judges is not a good time for Israel, Okay? This is where the storytelling stops, and there's a warning in this here. Joshua 2, or ju sorry, Judges 2, verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So the people remembered. They had passed on these stories. These were kind of the golden years for Israel. And then all of those people passed away. And this is the line that, that needs to stick in us. 
<clears throat> Judges 2.10, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. A whole other generation that maybe heard about God, but had not experienced him or been raised in remembrance of the Lord or what he has done, had no life experience with God, a whole generation who did not know the Lord. And this starts a very dark path for God's people. Chapter 2, verse 11 of Judges, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They went back to the gods that was not Yahweh. And this is the danger when we don't tell the story of God in our worship right? It's not, just, it's not just for us. There is worship for us, but we're actually passing it on. We're teaching the next generation, right? If we stop worshiping God, what happens to our children? Who do they worship? What happens to their children's children? Who do they worship? And we can learn from history, for this happens over and over again, and this is how the book of Judges concludes, the very end of Judges, 21 verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If I ever read a line that would have marked just like our culture today, that's it, right? That's a prophetic thing that was written so long ago that like, right, we're living that. Everyone is doing what they think is right in their own eyes because to them there's no king. And that needs to be different for us. That cannot be for us. We have a king, right? I refuse to allow that to happen here. If there's rejection of God, there's rejection. But if there's forgetting of God, if there is us not knowing who God is passed down to generations, that is on us. And I believe that there, that will be judged accordingly, right? But what does this look like in our community today? Just a few things. First of all, I feel like we need to know these stories, right? I just told you one, but we need to know these stories, right? Then we need to retell these stories to our family, retell them to friends, to retell them to anyone that'll listen, you know? But we also live it. We cannot forget that you are a part of the story. We are part of God's big story. And this is not just God of old Israel, but this is the God of his people today. We are living as part of the story. So our, our lives and how we live matter, just like all the lives in the Bible story, and we can read and retell matter. But I want to move on to the next point of worship, and this is related because as the people moved on and served the Baals, because it was easier, right? It was right in front of them. It gratified their, their pleasures and their desires, and that's really hard to overcome, right? So another key fruit to worship is sacrifice. Now, it's tough to find a good definition for sacrifice that puts any kind of new idea or spin on it. If you're like me, you're just kind of all honestly exhausted. <laughs> sacrifice, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, sacrifice is more of myself, like, I'm already giving myself to my job, my family, my kids, my church, blah, 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 right? But let's talk about it in terms of the scriptures, okay? Don't lose hope about it. Romans 12 says, I, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right? This is your spiritual act of worship. And what we're talking about is this. It's the sacrificing the idol of self when we worship. Right? The idol of self that says, my life is about my glory. Right? That's the sacrifice. Not my glory, but God's glory is what sacrifice and worship looks like. And it sounds simple, 
And as we all know, it's the hardest thing to do. And I want to tell you another story. Genesis chapter 22. Okay, if you want to turn there and follow along, it's a fantastic story. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and ask him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay, right off the bat, tough story, right? If this is your first time hearing it, I'm, let's talk afterward. It's a tough one to deal with, right? On one hand, I understand the extreme measure of testing by God. Like, if you're going to find out someone's loyalty, there's not really a better way. But on the other, as a father, myself, it's so tough and breaks your heart just to even think about that, right? We aren't told any emotions in the passage. It's not like Abraham sat down and wept or whatever. So kind of if you read the story just for what it is, it just sounds really cold and heartless and brutal. But I imagine there are some serious wrestling here. And here's what's fascinating. Abraham uh, is going with his son. He has some traveling companions. They prepare his donkey. They go, and when they get there, he turns to his traveling companions. This is 22.5. He says to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham called this worship, Right? Not a crazy lunatic who's sadistic and he's calling it this his religious duty, right? That's always wrong. But worship to a God who gave him everything, so then everything is God's. And here's why I think Abraham could maybe go through with this. First, if you remember in the story, Abraham and his wife Sarah were childless, right? In fact, she was barren. They could not have children, which is a big deal in general. But God made a way and she gave birth to Isaac miraculously in old age. They only had one son. They only had one son because of God. He's the only reason they have it. And if God wanted that son back, who were they to keep him from him? Secondly, because God promised Abraham he would be the father of many nations by this son, that this was his only son. So trusting and worshiping God to his word means that he would either stop it Maybe he thought he would raise Isaac back from the dead. Maybe he thought he would give him a different Isaac. Oh, this isn't Isaac the first, this is Isaac the second, which still doesn't make it any easier, but at least there was something for him to go off of, right? But he trusted that God had a plan because God gave him this son. And these two lines get me every time. It's a very quiet story. And the first one to break the silence is Isaac. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and Abraham replied, Here I am my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Do you see how Abraham is responding over and over? Here I am. Like all Abraham can do is show up. And this isn't just to sacrifice his son. Do you realize the sacrifice of Abraham himself, his own desires for his son, his own plans for his future and his life. This was just as much a sacrifice of self as it was for his son. And when he places Isaac on the altar, he raises the knife. I can just imagine the tears, the anguish, the longing to just hear something, anything from the Lord. And at the last second, the last voice to break the silence, Genesis twenty-two eleven, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And how does he respond? 
here I am. Here I am. Right? This is me. There's nothing to hide. I have everything to lose. Here I am. This is worship. When all you can do is stop and watch God provide. Verse 12, he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. You think Abraham remembered this day? <laughs> I think this is, a, this is a pivotal moment in his life, right? When he would then worship later in his life, you think he remembered this day of just longing to hear that voice and then to look up and see God provide a way. Right? This was, I'm sure this was very transforming for him. And this, of course, is a foreshadow of a good God who did not withhold his son, his only son, for not just a test, but for the salvation of all who believe. And as this leads to our last point today, worship is not just for the individual to have this personal awe, this personal story of what God has done in my life, and this personal sacrifice to just hold up inside and hide away, hoping that one day they will hear Jesus say, hey, great job, good and faithful servant. Right? Everything we do for the Lord is meant to be building up the body of the believers. Right? It's where we live out these lives of sacrifice, where our focus is on God and, and, and through what he's doing in and through this community. So worship, the last one I want to go on is that the fruit of worship then also becomes unity. Where self-glory can divide us, God's glory unifies us. And when we have proper on our worship, when we see our place, when we, when we practice not being God, when we tell the true story of God and his faithfulness, we can rely on him. When we hear stories of sacrifice, they should always remind us of the ultimate sacrifice made in Jesus on the cross. But when we forget the stories, when the object of our awe gets confused, we stop sacrificing, what happens is we start building our own kingdoms. Last story time. Our lives become about our own glory instead of God's. Okay, Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. Okay, I always remembered it because they look like towers. Okay, After the flood... Noah lives 350 more years to a total of 950 years, okay? You think I'm making that up? He was literally as old as the dirt he was walking on. And the land started to grow with people again, and all these people groups were formed, and we're told in the start of Genesis 11, this is incredible, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. That would make traveling a lot easier, wouldn't it, right? But how do you begin again? You can all speak together, but you get on dry land again. How do you begin again? The flood was extensive. They're back on dry land and looking to start completely over. Maybe some of us feel that way right now, right? The last two years kind of feels like you've just been in a boat, right? If you're anything like me, you've definitely been shut up with animals. You know, that's what it feels like, right? Well, the people migrated together and they wanted to begin the process starting over and they figured out that they could make brick. Like, this is neat. So as quick as it happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, the thought comes into their hearts, we can make brick, we could be like God. <laughs> right? Verse 4 of Genesis 11. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. 
Two things. They wanted to make a name for themselves, and they did not want to be dispersed over the whole earth, okay? So who comes a-knocking? Genesis 11:5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built, okay? And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Quick tangent. I know I've spoken a lot to you today. But I think this connection is pretty cool. If you remember back in the garden with Adam and Eve, they took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But if you remember, there's another tree, the the tree of life. Okay, this was the tree of eternal life, right? God refused to let this sinful state stand forever. And we should be thankful, right? We can be saved. We're not stuck in that sin. They were to take the sinful tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then also live eternally. That's where we would be at, right? But God in the garden kicked them out really saying, like, we need to get them out lest they take from the tree of life, okay? Sin had entered the world, but the Lord refused to let it be permanent, right? So like before, the Lord refuses to let his people destroy themselves. He sees that they're just going to do whatever they want. Chapter Genesis 11, verse 7, the Lord says, come, let us go down and down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech, Right? He, he promises after the flood that he wouldn't control all, delete his people again, so he gets real creative. Let's have no one understand each other. And ironically, as the people were trying to get to heaven, heaven came down to them and confused their language. But the real aspect here is that the people were trying to achieve greatness and not trusting in God or his provision. Verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. Babel literally means a confusion of sounds, right? But it's also the start of this underlying theme throughout our whole scriptures where Babel gets turned into this idea of actually a city, a kingdom called Babylon, right? Where it's this idea of of bent on seeking self-glory, and you see this come up all over the scriptures, right? Self-glory equals confusion and being scattered all over. Questions to think about. Are we in our own lives building our own kingdoms for our glory? Are we thinking we can build our lives and achieve our own perfection if we just try hard enough, if we just do it the right way? As a church, are we building our own little comfortable kingdom here at Second and Lions, right? If you guys went to the attic, you wouldn't think so, right? It's gnarly up there. But I hope not, right? We need to answer these questions. These are just questions to, 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 for us to answer. We want to run away from the self-glorification. What does Jesus pray? What does he teach us how to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now to contrast this, the alternative for a group of God's people who are not building their own kingdom of self-glory, when they're rightly giving God the worship that he deserves, he, in fact, does the opposite of what happened in the Tower of Babel, <coughs> Excuse me, and he unifies his people in a powerful way. Last story, Acts chapter 2, all the way to the early church. Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles. The Holy Spirit comes down like a rushing wind, and the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit, starting to speak in different languages. Remember, it's Pentecost, so thousands of people are there from all over the place. 
Acts 2, 6. And at this sound of them speaking and this rushing wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Remember, they're from all over the place. They are the scattered all over. They're bewildered. They start naming off. Wait a second. But I know you're from here, and you're, you're Parthian, and you're a Mede, and you're, uh, you know, you can read it. All these words that basically just means you're from everywhere, right? We're all around. We speak different languages. How are we hearing this? And this is what they say. Acts 2.11. It says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is incredible. It's not confusing. It's not babble. It's by the Holy Spirit, praise and worship in common language, right? Much like you can go to any country and there's common language in a smile, right? A smile means a smile. A laugh means a laugh. Tears mean sadness, right? These are common languages to who we are as humans. You can connect on that level even if you don't understand. Worship is one of these, but it was with words. They could understand in their own language. At the Tower of Babel, we saw self-seeking glory, which causes confusion and scattering. And here, we see God gathering his people together in unity. We see worship as this unifying shared language. So guys, how are we doing with this as a church? Are we speaking the mighty works of God? Are we worshipers of our God? Right? Individually, together as a community, would people would 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 we be marked as worshipers of our God? Are we a people that are filled with awe for God and his amazing works? Are we telling the stories of who he is and what he has done in our lives? Are we living in a way where we are sacrificing our own glory to seek God's glory instead? We saw today our awe needs to be in alignment with who God is and what he is doing. We need to know and tell the stories of God, stories before us and stories in our lives now, and this is, that's praise. Right? We need to understand the sacrifice of self-glory when we come together to worship our good God and then in our worship be unified with one voice, one faith, one Lord. And I want to read over you the Psalm 145 again. If you would just close your eyes or just be in whatever state you'd like to be of just to receive, just now just thinking, think of awe, think of storytelling, think of sacrifice, think of un- unity that the Spirit wants for his body and his people. Let me read you Psalm 145. Let us worship our God and that we will go. We will sing more songs. We will take communion. We will give of our riches so that the community can be blessed We'll pray with one another. Let me read Psalm 145, and then I'll pray. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations.